0: Hello, and welcome back to the H-SPAN podcast, your go-to podcast for longevity policy discussion. I'm your host, Dylan Livingston. Today, we're excited to be joined by Senator Kenneth Bogner. Ken is a United States Marine veteran who currently represents the 19th District in Montana's State Senate. In this episode, I want to discuss longevity science with Ken, as well as get his views on the role government should play in supporting and regulating biotechnology industries, So join us as we discuss the relationship between longevity science and policymaking. Without further ado, here's Senator Kenneth Bogner. Long and prosper. Hey, Ken. Thanks for joining us today. So I think a lot of our viewers would like to get an idea about who you are, what you do. So can you tell us who is Ken Bogner? What do you do? What are you passionate about? And, you know, where do you want to see this country go as a state senator from Montana?
1: I'm Ken Bogner. I was born and raised in southeast Montana, a very rural rancher cowboy community. I grew up very interested in government. You know, my favorite class in junior high was social studies. Government and history really fascinated me. Then I went to high school, month into high school. September eleventh, two thousand and one happened, and that just made me so much more interested in government and politics and followed the decisions that politicians and the government made for the next few years. and was fascinated by it. Those decisions led me to join the United States Marine Corps when I turned eighteen. I did four years as a combat engineer. And I did two tours to Iraq. And on those tours, I got very fascinated with geopolitics and how a kid from the middle of nowhere, Montana, ends up halfway around the world in the desert with someone who doesn't even speak the same language as him trying to kill him. And it just, it was kind of mind blowing. And I decided that I wanted to study that and. So I got out of the military and went and studied political science at Columbia University in New York. That was another culture shock, but that led to a job as on a political campaign. And that led to a master's degree in public policy, uh, which led to a job as an aide in the state legislature. And through that job in the state legislature, I made some connections and got asked to run for state Senate myself. And I won that race in 2018. And now I'm currently in the Montana State Senate as the Senate President Pro Tem, which is the vice president of the Senate. And I just helped the president make sure that the legislature runs smoothly. And then you want to know what am I passionate about?
0: Is that that the next question? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I threw a lot at you there. Yes. What do you, so tell me, yes, tell us what you're passionate about politically. And before I do that, thank you for your service, Ken. I just want to say that now here, you know, what you do and what you did is very important for the, you know, security of this country. So I, I I thank you, but yes, please tell us what you're passionate about. I could guess from your background, but you know, please let us know in your own words.
1: Uh, Well, thank you. Uh, Proud to have served really the greatest privilege of been able to experience so far, really meaningful. So thank you. But that military experience has really influenced what I'm passionate about here in the legislature. And I try to use state policy as foreign policy. So a lot of the legislation that I bring forward does what Montana can do is a border state and how it can affect some of the foreign policy. So that's a big issue for me. And then I also so focus on the individual privacy and data privacy of Montanans that that's my focus right now. I really have started to dive into I guess, emerging tech and how it relates to our privacy and, and what we're striving for here in Montana and America.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That leads perfectly into what we're going to talk about today, right? Uh, Merging tech and specifically biotech and longevity biotech, right? So, so Ken, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this conversation, uh, let me just ask you. So, you know, you and I have been talking for the past couple of months and, you know, I'm not going to ask you a whole, you know, spiel on the science about longevity and aging, because, you know, they're, us politicos, you know, we know what we know, right? But, you know, just just initial thoughts, you know, h- how do you feel about this longevity and aging science space? And, you know, how do you see it kind of playing into, as you, you know talked about, your, your, your interests, right? Your, your interests in security of information and national security, right? How, how do you see this all kind of playing out and playing into it? I'm very excited
1: about it in relation to my district now. It's a very rural district. So it's it's an aging population. And it really is Montana, though. The people that live in rural Montana are what make Montana what it is. And to have them live a better life and longer life is very important, especially as we see an influx of people here in Montana. It's become, you know, kind of a political issue. So the longer we can keep those type of individuals in our communities, the better. And then There's another aspect where, when I go out into the community and people stop me on the street, one of the biggest issues that is brought up is, you know, how can you help with healthcare costs? And this will be a big step in making sure that we can have lower costs and people have a little better quality of life. So I'm, I'm very excited in that aspect, and then also, you know, on the emerging tech side is. Innovation is great. And I think we've got some things we can do in the state to make us more competitive.
0: And this can be one of them. And so that excites me as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So so this leads into, you know, kind of our next topic here, specifically about longevity science. What what specifically do you think Montana can do? Right. To to, to make it kind of a hub or, you know, make make Montana more competitive as a state and as a place for business in terms of longevity science? There's a couple avenues Montana can take. You know,
1: they can go the route where they put resources into it, funding, tax credits, just really investing heavy monetarily in that portion. Or they can do what my more focus is, is kind of a small government guy, is, you know, we can let the free market do what it does by reducing regulations and burdensome policy that will get innovation here and companies to come in and want to make Montana a place that they can innovate. And so that is what I'm wanting to do is get get rid of some of these regulations and let you know the private companies come in and innovate and make
0: this something that Montana can lead the country in. Absolutely absolutely yeah you know the the the, there are a lot of barriers right that the federal governments have put in place especially for this longevity biotech industry right and it's you know i I would argue it's not necessarily even their fault almost this is a very new field that you know needs advocacy which is where organizations like a4li and you know you know partners like you and others come in and, and, and can kind of make them see that but a lot can be done at the state level, right? The states are, we're always sort of meant to be a testing ground for a specific policy that the federal government could adopt. So I'm really excited that Montana is looking like a place where that could, you know, start uh, for this, for this kind of industry. So, so Ken, you and I have been talking for, you know, about five, six months now we've been in contact, I would say. And, you know, over, over that time, we've had a lot of brainstorming sessions and I think the one one of the things that we're interested in is expanding access for some of the more experimental drugs that you know pass safety profiling. Expanding access to those drugs under right to try, right? So you and I have been kind of bouncing back and forth, and I I, I know there's something in the works. Would you, Would you be able to talk about that at all or discuss any anything? I don't know how in depth we can get, but what are your thoughts on expanding right to try in Montana? Yeah, we had some really great conversations on what what
1: the state can do at the state level because, as you mentioned, they're the ones who get to act as the laboratories. So, you know, we talked about maybe doing something along the lines of regulatory sandbox. We got to talking more, and we kind of landed on this right to try. And I decided to write up a bill here in Montana. hasn't been introduced yet, but The right to try law in Montana says that eligible patients for right to try must be terminally ill. And so I'm going to introduce my bill to eliminate that eligibility requirement of terminal illness so that anyone, if they want to try an experimental drug, they can do that. So I'm very excited about this. This is very simple and straightforward, but very impactful
0: right absolutely absolutely well so just to clarify though you know I, I safety is still you know definitely a profile that must be passed right but i think what we're we're looking for here is something you know the the, the japanese government actually has a very in my mind progressive and forward thinking way they do their clinical trials and pretty much after phase 1 or you know the safety profile you know p- patients are allowed to access you know drugs right so I see Montana as, you know, a place where we can kind of experiment with this and absolutely see if we can have the same kind of success that the the, the Japanese regulators do. But also, you know, for the state of Montana, Ken, can you talk about what you think this will, will do, proposing Right to Try and maybe other you know initiatives to help this aging field? What do you think it'll do for the state of Montana? We've seen just in the past few years... Montana really become
1: a place where people want to be, not just individuals but companies. Uh, we've had a lot of investments into our the research portion of Montana State University in Bozeman. That's become very popular. GlaxoSmithKline GSK just announced, I guess, a year ago, hundred million dollar investment into the state. So this would really encourage those type of investments moving forward and get. People in the space excited about coming to Montana. We're starting to invest now, but this would really open things up
0: to really get a bang for your buck and encourage people to come to Montana. Right, right. And and bang for your buck. So you before just on just to, just to go back to a thread you mentioned before, you know, one of the things that seems that your constituents talk about is getting, you know, cheaper health care. So, you know, one of the ideas around longevity medicine is that in a lot of ways, it could be a way to lower healthcare costs, making more efficient drugs that target a wider range of you know diseases and all packed into one or two or, you know, however many therapies or drugs you need to take is better than taking a drug for each individual, individual disease you have. Do you think that kind of messaging would resonate with the people of Montana? Do you think, you know, Montanans are kind of the people in in the correct state to kind of get this done. How do you feel about the people of Montana accepting scientists and innovation moving into the state? I think it's a great place. There's essentially two populations,
1: I believe, that would really be accepting of this. One would be the people who are already here, the aging population. They're very rugged individualists, and it meant they didn't have to go to the doctor, and get treatment for all these aging diseases that you know they get over their lifetime. If they could be more preventative and proactive and they're they're gonna jump on board. They wanna stay active in their communities, they want to stay on the farm and the ranch and working hard. That's just who we are in Montana. Yeah. So there's very much that culture and would be willing to really take this on. And the other is we've really become a haven for. Wealthier individuals, individuals that want to invest and that are open to this type of innovation and industry. And this is this is becoming home to them. So if we can cover both those populations with this ability to do research, it's just a really good fit for for
0: innovation and what could be done in this space. Awesome, yeah. I, that I didn't even think about that, but you know, the rugged individualism it, it, it fits perfectly with this, right? You know, you can't be an outdoorsman, you can't you know run your ranch if you're you know dealing with an age related disease, right? And I am exactly. sure, uh, you know, there there is a beauty in the life out there, right? You know, the nature and the, the lifestyle, right? So I'm sure they want to live, you know, the Mon- people of Montana want to live their lifestyle for as long as possible. So that's that's a great point. So Ken I I I want to kind of move on from the state level scope that we're talking about to a more federal level viewpoint. As you may know, A4LI has been instrumental in the eventual formation of a caucus in Congress to advocate for longevity and aging biotech. So, you know, what what are your thoughts on the idea of advocacy at a federal level. What do you think the federal government can do? You know, what do you think institutions like the NIH could do to not only help this industry as a whole in this whole country, but specifically in Montana? What what role do you think, you know, federal governments can play in helping Montana excel in this space? Yeah, I'd like to see the federal government allow a little more
1: flexibility they do like the status quo and, and having control. And this is why, you know, having a caucus, congressional caucus is very important because it is Congress that's going to need to be the ones that push change and the FDA to maybe, you know, adjust policies on approval or the NIH to make some changes. So A great place to start is Congress, a caucus to get people talking about this, educated on this issue. That's where it needs to start, is in Congress and pushing this at the federal level. So it's a great idea. I'm very excited to see where the caucus goes and how much change it can push because there needs to be an entity
0: that can really push this. And that's a great place to start. Absolutely. This is what I like about what we're doing is we're... We have a two-pronged approach here with a federal government initiative and a state initiative in Montana. We're, we're kind of taking both routes here, right? How would federal action help the state of Montana specifically? Thoughts goes to, goes to one of our specific initiatives at A4LI being to raise the budget specifically for the NIA Division of Aging Biology. So not the NIH in total, but more money for this specific division that does Research on aging biotechnology. If 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 there were more grants for that, how do you see that affecting Montana? Yeah, you know, I
1: mentioned earlier that there's kind of two routes the state can take. You know, adding funding, incentivizing through you know economic means, or going the more regulation route. And us as the state, Montana, we just don't have that much money. We have to be very selective on. The services we provide, and we're constitutionally obligated to, to provide education and health care requirements. So, if the federal government can come in and say, Hey, we've got some funding for you, that would be huge because that really drives just how much of a priority we can make that in the state. And we do want to make it a priority. So, you know, we'd, we'd love to have a relationship with the federal government there and and expanding that funding especially in the state of montana so
0: yeah that that's one way that the federal government can really help push this yeah absolutely well especially if we identify montana as a pro-longevity pro-aging biotech state you know eventually once we get that initiative done they would be looking at states that are making this a priority and probably invest there first so yeah that that's 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 a great answer my last question though before we get on to sort of the geopolitical you know topic that I want to discuss is you know ha- have you talked to any other lawmakers or policymakers and you know in Montana in the, in the state legislature but on the congressional level, but have you talked to any other stakeholders or any offices about this that you can kind of share with us?
1: Yeah, I had talked to one of the original senators who worked on the right-to-try policy in Montana in 2015. Now, Congress didn't pass right-to-try until 2018. So I, I had some questions on you know, what was the mood, It was this a big lift? And you know, he went into detail on how this all came about and said that it was this was fought tooth and nail to get it passed and it was a very big lift mm-hmm. and the people opposed you know thought the world the sky was going to fall and and people would be abusing their ability to to give experimental drugs to terminally ill patients and that wasn't the case uh, and then you know he'd mentioned that after 2018 uh, it just you know if they felt vindicated that you know this is The federal government took notice and took some portions of the montana law and that it proved it was a success and he really encouraged me to make those changes in the bill that we'll introduce here in the montana legislature soon so i'm excited about it you know those legislators that came before me really paved the way for this need a lot of credit because because of them
0: this this is a possibility we have here in montana today right Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Without them, this isn't even an idea, right? So, so yeah, kudos to them, and, and kudos to you for talking to the right people there. Have, have you have you have you talked to any Congress people at all?
1: Yeah, I know one of our congressmen here in Montana is very interested in healthcare policy, and so I talked to Congressman Rosendale here in Montana, really a proponent of the you know healthcare costs and making sure that montanans and americans reduce or you know have to pay reduced costs in in healthcare because it is such a burden to a lot of americans he's you know very interested in doing helping where he can in, in congress which is exciting so as he starts to have those conversations with fellow congressmen this will hopefully snowball and you know get the congressional caucus you mentioned growing uh, which would be exciting so the conversations are being had and
0: uh, I hope you know percolating through Congress, so it's exciting. Absolutely, yeah. That th- thanks for thanks for talking. To him. That that's I appreciate that, and I'm sure all of our audience will too. Yeah, I definitely have to put on my notes here to to reach out to the Rosendale office. Yeah, thank you for that, Ken. That's great. Um, so I want to just go into the last meat and potatoes part of this conversation here, and and kind of talk about you know the geopolitical implications, right? And you, you discussed earlier that's one of your you know, main, main interests and main focuses, right. Especially as a border state. So I want to bring up the, you know, the, the, the Chinese spy balloon situation. I know America yeah. was one of the states that it, I think, I think it was the first state, maybe other than Alaska that the, the balloon reached. So, you know, I'm curious as just a, you know, a Politico, you know, what, what were your thoughts when that was going on, you know, did, did, were you aware of it while it was happening? You know, what were people on the ground saying? Just want to get a general sense of how the Montana folks reacted and how you reacted. Well, my first thought was what timing?
1: So, exactly one week before the balloon was first spotted over Montana, I had introduced a bill that would prevent adversarial nations determined by the US Department of Commerce. From purchasing and entering into agreements for ag production land and critical infrastructure in Montana. So that was just one week before, because I've been very concerned about some of these nations, particularly China, from coming in. They tried to buy up some farmland next to an Air Force base in North Dakota, which raised a lot of red flags. So we just wanted to prevent that here in Montana. And then You know, a week later, there's the spy balloon hovering over Montana. So when I first introduced the bill, there were some questions like, you know, is this really happening? Is this a big deal? And then after the balloon was spotted, it was like, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, there are nations that they want to spy on us, that want to have some influence and are gonna do what they can to have footprints in the US. So, you know, it's never good to see another nation's spy balloon over in your airspace. But I think it was good in opening a lot of average Americans' eyes just at, you know, there are other nations that want to spy on us and collect our data. You know, it's one thing to have to say, you know, someone's collecting your data for a nation on your phone. Yeah, whatever. You don't see it. But when there's a physical object over your home collecting information and data, it just, it makes things a lot more real. So not a good thing that it was spotted or you know in u.s airspace but it was good in the sense that it woke a
0: lot of people up that we are in you know great power competition with china absolutely yeah and it's good for you that's the first thing i'm going to say good for you for for you know being an early realizer of this and you know proposing that a week before and i'm sure you must have felt vindicated and, and you know like you were right and you were so But the second thing is I I have a little theory about longevity and aging and China specifically. So China in, you know, I'm sure, as you know, is, is, is facing, you know, as the whole world is facing an aging crisis, right? The the, the demographics are shifting so that the larger portion of the people are over 65 in 2020. I'll get just, you know, rattle off some statistics in 2020. The percentage of people in the U.S. over 64 or 65 uh, was 16%. In China, it's 13%. In other nations like England and France, it's like closer to 20%. And the UN in 2019 made the projection that in 20, in in 2029, that China would depopulate. And by 2025, they would have a larger portion of their country, you know, over the age of 65 right and so mm-hmm. you know the thought is you know that the chinese government is going to be you know very very invested in this longevity biotechnology industry just because of the fact that they're depopulating you know they were also in that in that report i mentioned they were expected to start depopulating in 2029 but it turns out that in 2022 they started depopulating so it seems that a bunch of their policies including potentially zero covid know is accelerating this right so my theory is that china in the next you know 50 years is going to be hit harder by this aging demographic crisis than almost any other country and so my thought is that by you know making longevity biotech the us's you know speciality the the same way that taiwan kind of dominates the semiconductor industry we can not only help our own citizens not only help keep them you know thriving and you know active productive healthier and happier for longer we can control a market that china and the chinese population is desperately going to need over the next 50 years so after explaining that whole theory to you what do you think about it do you think that makes sense do you think that's a, a something that people could get behind or is it something that i should just keep in the back of my mind Right. Yeah, I think that's a correct theory. The one child policy
1: in China is really coming back to hurt them. And one of our biggest advantages here in the US is our people. And they're innovative. And we need them around and contributing to society as long as possible and teaching our next generation what they know. This is, you know, this is the longevity dividend. You know, increase the healthy life expectancy, increases. The individuals' time in the job market and producing, and less, you know, in in healthcare, and you know, having having them in that healthcare and having them less in the healthcare system and costing more to society is is a bigger economic benefit, and that helps us compete economically with China as they start losing their population and their ability to compete economically. Uh, So yeah, this, this is, this is a big issue and a great strategy on how we can really help compete against nations like China.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm glad that we have, we have your support on that idea. That's great. So, so Ken, the last thing, so we're, 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 you know, getting to sort of the end here. So what I usually ask my, uh, Listeners, the audience wants to know, you know, why should they be hopeful for the future? You know, I think there's a lot of uh, gloom and despair. If you if you turn on CNN or Fox or any, any news outlet, any anything on TV, you'll see the negatives, right? It's all about the negatives. And, you know, I think there's a lot to look forward to in the, in, in the future. I think the future continues to get better, even if bad parts are more obvious because of social media and the news and, and whatnot. So can you give our listeners, you know, some reason to be hopeful for the future and, you know, tell them why you're hopeful for the future. What what gets you out of bed in the morning every day?
1: It's definitely easy to get discouraged, especially being in politics and seeing the polarization every day. But at the same time, being in the Capitol and then being out in my district is what gets me up every morning and excited is... The next generation to be honest with you the, you know gen z might get a lot of flack but they're the first generation that grew up with all the information in the world in the palm of their hand and they are willing to ask the why question why are we doing this why are we not doing this and i've gotten those questions from them and it's really sparked a lot of you know, internal debate and reflection on why are we doing this? And why aren't we doing this? So as they come into the politics, I'm really excited that the direction they're going to take this country. They are not necessarily happy with the status quo, and they're willing to be innovative and disruptive. And I that's that's what America is about. So I'm very excited about this next generation. And you know, I'm kind of biased as a millennial, but I'm excited as millennials get more into politics and have a say in policy, you know, whether it's longevity or data privacy. I'm very excited
0: where we go in the next ten to fifteen years. I'm with you. You know, I, I think you know millennials to a lesser extent than I think Gen Z, and I'm 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 a Gen Zer. Well, I'm a. I'm 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 right on the cusp of being a Gen Z and a millennial. I think millennials and Gen Zers, right, get a lot a lot of flack from you know older generations. But you know, like you said, we really are we really are the there's there's never been you know another group of people who have been able to access information the way that we have so easily. You know, what I mean any any anybody in the world has more information than the richest King and the smartest person you know even even 50 years ago right so I agree with you and as as a gen Zer I'm gonna I'm gonna call myself a gen Zer now I'm gonna thank you because you're one of the few people who will give us some props and I also agree that gen Z is a is a generation to look forward to, as well as millennials. And so, I like this. I like this cross generational love we're giving each other here, Ken. So <laughs> I agree with you. And I also am looking forward to the next generation and the future and the and the in the future of the way that people are going to think, because I think a, a new era of thinking is going to be ushered in. So that's great, Ken. And I think we're I think we're at time here. So I just want to thank you one more time for joining us, Ken. And if you have anything you'd like to say to our audience before we log off, I'll, I'll give you a chance to speak right now. Sure. I'll just say encourage your
1: your state representatives, your state senators to implement policy like we're doing here in Montana. It's Government is slow moving. So start now on getting your, your representatives to, to take a bite at the apple and maybe do what we're doing in Montana with Right to Try. So really encourage you to reach out to them. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Senator Bogner, for making the time to join us today. And for those who are listening at home, I hope you found this conversation as enlightening and informative as I did. If you have any suggestions on who you'd like to see make an appearance on our podcasts, you can send the suggestions to us at info at a4li.org. h will return in two weeks, but until then, let's live long and prosper.